Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's Word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Who here likes instruction manuals? Anybody? Okay, well, I'm not alone. I actually like them, contrary to popular opinion. Not all men are like, I don't need that. Um, I like instruction manuals. I think they're very helpful. They give me, especially when I'm putting together one of Penny or Lydia's toys, like last summer when we moved here, I put together a house outside for her. And if I didn't have the instructions, that house would not look like a house. I don't know what it would look like, but it sure wouldn't be a house. Um, So I think they're helpful. They give me a picture of what it should look like. They help me step by step as I put it together in the right order with the right pieces. Um, So more often than not, I try to use them. But inevitably, there are times when I fail to do so or I get a little arrogant and I think, I got this. I can do it. I don't need these instructions. Uh, It's not that complicated. I'll figure it out. And so I get started putting it together and, and I get done with it and... Sure enough, there's a few pieces left over, and, you know, I think that's fine. I improved their design. They didn't need these in the first place. Um, and, and I look at it, and it, well, it basically looks like it's supposed to look. I, it's fine, and it functions. It does the things that it's supposed to do. Uh, maybe not perfectly, but for the most part. Um, but nine times out of ten, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I don't get it together pretty well. It's usually if I don't use one, I got to start over and then go back to the instruction manual anyway, because even that one time when it works, after a while, that toy will begin to reveal that I did not put it together well. I didn't put it together right. It's not as sound as it should be. Sure, technically it works and it holds up and it does what it's supposed to, but but over time, it's going to show that it's missing something. It's not quite right. Now, I think in fear, sometimes that's how we approach the church. We just think, I can figure it out. I got this. How hard could it be to, to be a church, right? You just you come together on Sundays. You come together on Wednesdays. You smile at people. You, you're nice. And then, you know, you listen to the music and you sing along and you sit here and you listen to a guy go on and on and on. And, and how hard could that be? And so we start to do those things that are easy, like, well, I'm here. You know, I showed up. I'm singing. I'm, I'm trying to listen. And, and after a while, it may work for a little while, but after a while, things start to break down. They, they're not working like they should. And the reason is because we probably got away from the design of God, what he's called us to do in his word as the church. And and when that starts to happen, when we start to notice that it's not working quite like it should, then we can either just continue on thinking it'll be fine, it'll work, you know, we'll, we'll make it through, or we could ask deeper questions like, what's the purpose of the church? What should we be doing as a church? And what should our church look like? If we begin to ask those deep questions, then hopefully we'll find ourselves searching for those answers in the Word of God, which for all intents and purposes is the manual for the church. 
It's how do we set up the church? How do we live as the church? What do we do as the church? So we start to ask those questions and we find the answers in Scripture. What's the purpose of the church? We've seen that in, in part already in Acts. It's to glorify God and continue the mission of Christ who came to seek and save the lost. Now that's a, a bigger answer to that question than just that, but that's what we've seen so far. To glorify God, to seek and save the lost like Christ came to do. We continue his mission. What should we be doing as a church? Well, we've seen that for sure. We go as empowered witnesses preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's, that one's pretty clear. We should have that one down. What should our church look like? This is the question I think we have answered for us this morning in Acts 11. What should our church look like? And here's what I believe the answer is according to Acts 11. Our church should look like a church that is made up of all kinds of people that are unified and that are generously and that generously care for all the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what I think the church should look like according to Acts 11. A church made up of all kinds of people that are unified and that are generously caring for one another, caring for all the brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what we're going to see this morning. That's the main point. That's what our church should look like. And we'll walk through each part of that, that sentence and see in Acts 11 where I think that comes from. So the first part, a church that is made up of all kinds of people. This is 11, 1 to 18. So would you read that with me? The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began to explain to them step by step, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up, up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house there at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as it did on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. We'll stop there. Here's the, the, the point, again, that we see in these verses. 
a church that is made up of all kinds of people. Here, Peter gets back to Jerusalem and he is put on the defensive, if you will. We saw, again, last chapter, what he reviewed. He went to Cornelius' house, he preached the gospel, Gentiles received the Spirit, and that news of what happened there spread to Jerusalem, into Judea. And when Peter got back to Jerusalem, he's met with criticism. The circumcision party, the Jewish believers there, began to criticize Peter for what he did. Notice that their criticism was, wasn't about Peter preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. It was that he ate with them. That was their criticism. You associated with those unclean Gentiles, Peter. What are you doing? The Jewish believers are wondering, what is going on? What are you, what's going through your head, Peter? You know that's not right. They hadn't been taught yet what Peter was taught by God, that Gentiles could believe as Gentiles, that God had made them clean by their faith. And can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind, what he might have been thinking when he gets back to Jerusalem? He just witnessed the Gentile Pentecost, a mighty act and movement of God, and then he's met with criticism from the church. People are saved, the Holy Spirit's descended, and they're like, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Don't you, don't you know that's not right, Peter? And he's put on the defensive. He has to defend what he did. And so that's exactly what he does. He's, he's like, guys, you don't understand what happened. This is what happened. God showed me what is now reality. He tells them why he was okay with eating with the Gentiles. He says, look, I was in Joppa. I was praying. It was one of the times of the day we're supposed to pray. I was on the roof. And I was seeking God. I was seeking to commune with God, minding my own business, when God showed up and put me in a trance. And while I was in that trance, a large sheet came down out of heaven. Like, that's not normal. And in that sheet was all of these animals, these four-footed animals of the earth, these wild beasts, reptiles, birds of the sky. And I'm looking at it, and I'm wondering, what is going on? Why is this here? And I heard a voice Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, I was hungry, and so at first hearing, that was kind of like, well, yeah, maybe. But then, again, looking at it, I said, no. No, Lord, I can't do that. These are unclean animals. I've never done that. I've never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. But then that voice came again and said, what God has made clean, you must not call impure. And this happened three times. God was making sure I got it. And then the sheet went back to heaven. And in that moment, three men showed up. They were looking for me. They arrived at the house I was staying at, asking for me by name. It wasn't my house. It was Simon the Tanner's house. And they were asking for Simon, who's called Peter. They were looking for me. And then the Spirit told me, you need to go with them and don't have any doubts. Don't be reserved about it. Go with them. It's going to be okay, Peter. Go with them. And so I went. And along with me came these six brothers who apparently went back to Jerusalem with him. And when we got there, to the man's house, to Cornelius' house, I went in. 
I didn't have reservations. We went into his house, a Gentile's house, and what he told us is what happened to him, how he had a vision. He was visited by an angel, and he told, and the angel told him to send for me specifically, to hear a message from me so that him and his household could be saved. It all lined up. It all made sense to me. God showed me, don't call him unclean what God has made clean. Don't go with reservations. Go without any objections. And then I hear that he was waiting for me to preach the gospel. What was I supposed to do? Preach the gospel. And so that's what I did. I started to share with them. And as I was speaking, as I was telling them the glories of Christ, the Holy Spirit came down on them just like it did to us in Acts chapter 2 just like it happened to us. And they began to speak in tongues and they began to declare the greatness of God and all the things that he'd done. And I remembered what Jesus himself had said, John baptized with water, but I baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what was happening. Jesus was baptizing these Gentile believers that we thought were unclean, showing that they're clean now. They believe. And so they received the Spirit. He was giving them the same gift as us. And I didn't want to stand in the way of God. I didn't want to hinder or fight against God. The Jewish believers then, hearing Peter's defense, those that were criticizing him at the beginning, became silent. What do you say to that? All of our objections are gone. They had nothing to say. And instead... Praise be to God, they glorified God. Their objections and their criticism was turned to praise for God. God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. How amazing is that? Even to the Gentiles, those dirty pagans, God gave repentance and life. Church, look at what's happening here. The church was beginning to be made up of all kinds of people. All kinds of people, not just Jews and not just Gentiles, but both. This was the church, all of them together. Not just men, not just women, but men and women. Luke's made that clear over and over. He emphasizes the reality that women played a huge role in the church as well. Not just poor not just rich, all of them, all walks of life. It was a new people that were set apart by the blood of Jesus that paid for their sins, made up of all kinds of people united in Christ. The Jewish believers began by protesting, but eventually came around like Peter did. They realized he was right. They came to understand what he meant in verse 17. I didn't want to hinder God. Peter made that clear. I didn't want to stand in the way of what God was doing. Remember back to Acts 5. I imagine that if Peter knew this is what he said, this is what, this is what it was in his mind. The words of Gamaliel, that wise man that didn't really understand what he was saying, but man, did he know what he was saying. This is Acts chapter 5 where he, he told the Jewish leaders that were wondering, what are we going to do with these men that are proclaiming Jesus? And he said, if it's of man, it'll fail, just like the other ones had failed. All these other leaders that have risen up and gained a following, they were killed and it died. So if it's of man, if this Jesus person was just another one of them, 
This movement of Jesus will fail. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. And in fact, trying to stop it, he said, you may find yourself fighting against God. And so Peter was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to fight against God. If this is what God is doing, I can't stop it anyway, and I sure don't want to be on the wrong side. And so they started that to understand that. They started to come around and to see, yeah, you're right, Peter. I can see why you didn't stop from baptizing them. Because if he gave the Spirit, why can't we dunk him in some water and have them join us, be one people? Peter saw what happened. He believed it was holy of God, and he certainly didn't want to fight against God. So he baptized those Gentiles as they were. He didn't wait for them to be circumcised. He didn't wait for them to start obeying Jewish customs and rituals. He baptized them as Gentiles because God baptized them with the Spirit as Gentiles. He included them into the family of God because he saw that's what God was doing. And when accused, he stood strong. He defended the Gentiles being welcomed in. This is what the church ought to look like. It ought to be made up of all different kinds of people who were bought with the same precious blood of Christ. No one can be excluded if they are included by God through faith in Jesus. We ought to then strive to be a church made up of all different kinds of people. Now, we don't need to worry about the Gentile part. <laughs> we're there. That's most of us. If you're Jewish, then you're still welcome because it came to you first anyway. But we welcomed, we, we're one now in Christ. But I want us to, to, as we continue here, not just think of Jew and Gentile, but what about today? We are different in a lot of ways today. We're, we're different. There's a lot of people that if they walked in here, you would notice that they're different. It would be obvious, but do you know what? It shouldn't matter. If they believe in Jesus, then come on in. Be a part of us because we want to be a part of the church with them because the church is to be made up of all different kinds of people. And we'll see how we can start to live like that and start to seek that later on at the end. But for now, that's what we see. What we should look like as a church is a church made up of all different kinds of people. Next, our church, what our church should look like. A church made up of all different kinds of people that are unified, not divided, not separated, but together. Read with me Acts 9, or 11, 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. 
Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. We're now shifting our attention away from Peter and Jerusalem to now Antioch, to what's happened after Stephen's stoning. People scattered after Stephen was stoned and and Saul began persecuting the church. They scattered. They made their way to places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And it says, as they were going, they were doing what they should be doing. They were gossiping the gospel, right? But we learn they were gossiping it only to the Jews. They haven't been sharing it or proclaiming it or gossiping it to the Gentiles, And that makes sense to us, right? They viewed them as unclean and impure. But that was about to change, just like it changed for Peter, just like it changed for the church in Jerusalem. Their eyes were being opened to what God was now doing. There were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went to Antioch, and they began to start speaking to the Greeks, to Gentiles. They began to tell them about Jesus, preaching to them the good news about Jesus. And what happened? They believed. Those Greeks, those Gentiles, those pagans began to believe in a Jewish Messiah. Large numbers began to believe. Not just a few of them, large numbers. And the reason? God's hand was with them. Because God was welcoming them in. He was building a church of all kinds of people that are unified. News of this made its way back to Jerusalem, which just heard about what God was doing with Peter and Cornelius. And so now, instead of being skeptical, what do they do? They send Barnabas to them, believing it's right and good and praising God for the Gentiles being welcomed in. They sent Barnabas, and he went as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, it was evident to him that God's grace was being poured out on them. And he did what the son of encouragement does. He encouraged them. He encouraged them to stay strong, remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts because he knew what it took to stay true to the Lord with a devoted heart. He grew up following God. He was Jewish. He knew the laws. He knew what it took to follow God, and he knew it was hard at times. And so he encouraged them, keep going, stay true. And he knew it must have been extremely hard for someone who didn't grow up that way to stay true to God. Someone who grew up as a Greek, as a Gentile, to come from a completely foreign worldview that worshipped idols, that worshipped self, to then worship the one true God, to follow his Messiah, that must have been extremely difficult. So he encouraged them, stay true to the Lord, keep walking in his ways. It was going to be hard for them to leave their old life behind, to remain faithful in a pagan society with pagan morals. That's likely why we see him go and find Saul. He's like, man, I'm in over my head. I need help. These Gentiles need to go a long way before we can leave. And so he goes and gets Saul, and they stay with them, these baby believers, for a year. They disciple them. They teach them. They encourage them to live for Christ, even in a hostile and wicked culture. And the outcome? The disciples begin to be called Christians in Antioch. 
They start to be called Christians. The world around them, that pagan world that worshipped other gods, started to call them Christians, and not in a nice way, in a derogatory way. But do you know what this shows us? That they began to live so different that it stood out. And that people knew who they were living for. Christ, the Messiah. That's why they're called Christians. They were now bearing the name of Christ because they were living in such a way that people could tell their Lord was now Jesus. That they were following Him. That they were living as, they, as He called them to live. They weren't living for the world anymore. They were living for Christ. And so they were known as Christians. The church... Now, as a whole, in a pagan world, was all under a unified and common name that pointed to their common Lord, Christians. That's what's happening. The distinctions between the people, they didn't disappear, but they're superseded by their submission to Christ as Lord. They're not Gentile believers anymore. They're not Jewish believers anymore. They're all Christians. All of them. Christians bearing the name of Christ, the church that is made up of all kinds of people unified in their submission to Christ as Lord. That's how we ought to look. We're not white Christians. We're not American Christians. We're not Newton Christians. We're Christians. Just like every other believer in the world is a Christian. We bear the name of Christ. No qualifier it's Christian. A church made up of all different kinds of people that are united and unified in our devotion to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We walk together in this world just like they walk together in a world that was full of idols, full of false gods. We proclaim Jesus as Lord. We walk together in unity and we do it in such a way that we earn that name Christian. We earn it. Have you ever thought have you ever thought about do I deserve the name Christian? Have I earned the name Christian? Not earning salvation. We're not talking about that. But do I deserve to be called Christian? Does my life really reflect that I am submitted to Christ as my Lord and not something else, not someone else, not myself? But have I earned the name Christian? Because that's how we ought to live. We ought to live in such a way that they did, that people knew who we were, who we followed, that we earn the name Christian. We don't just get it, we earn it. Do we walk together in unity seeking to earn that name of Christian? And again, we'll get to how we do that in a little bit, but that's what we strive for as the church. We're made up of all kinds of people and we're united. We are Christians following the Lord. One more thing that the church should look like that we see here in Acts. The church made up of all kinds of people that are unified and that also generously care for all the brothers and sisters in Christ, both near and far. Read with me 27 to 30. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. 
each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. In those days, in the days the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ and the church in Antioch was growing, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Agabus, one of the prophets, told them that there was a severe famine coming. This was not just his idea. This was given to him by the Spirit. There's a famine coming. And what is the response of these Christians in Antioch that were faced with this decision? This, was their, this is what the question was. There's a famine coming. Do we look out for ourselves only? Or do we seek to generously care for our brothers and sisters in Judea? That's the question. That's the decision before them. Do we look out for us and say, figure it out on your own? Or do we give and help them as well? And each of the disciples in Antioch chose generosity and care. They cared about their brothers and sisters in Judea, in Jerusalem. They cared about them, and they were generous. Each one, according to their ability, determined to send relief to them in Judea, to send relief to those who bear the name of Christ as well. And they went about doing it. This is, this is a wonderful thing, I think. They sent it with Barnabas and Saul. And why I think that's so wonderful is because the church in Judea and in Jerusalem, they were the ones to generously care for the church in Antioch first. They, they learned that they were coming to faith in Christ, and they knew it's going to be hard. They need someone to encourage them, someone to help them. And so who do they send? Just some average Joe Christian? No, they send the son of encouragement to them in Barnabas because they cared for them. They were generous. They gave one of the best to go and to help that church in Antioch. And so the church in Antioch now, having the opportunity before them to reciprocate, does so. It's an amazing picture of the church that's made up of all kinds of people that are unified. They're all under the lordship of Christ and they generously care for one another as they're able. Judea sent the encourager. Antioch sent relief. Church, this is what we ought to look like. Caring for our brothers and sisters near, here among us, and far. Those near in our midst that need encouragement, that need relief, we give it. Those far, all over the world, that need encouragement and relief, we give it. As we're able, we give it. Now we get to the fun part of the sermon. How do we do this? How do we become this church? How does our church begin to look like this? But there's one more question that we need to answer before we get to the how. And is the question is, do we want this? Do we want this? Do we want to look like this as a church? And I don't mean just intellectually, do we want to look like this as a church? Because obviously, at least to me it's obvious, it's scriptural, that's how we should look as a church. But do we really desire to look like this as a church? Do we want it? Do we want to look like the church we see in Acts? Do we want 
all kinds of people here that come from all different places, all walks of life, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we want them here? Do we want people who dress differently than us? Whether that's more casual or more formal, because you can go both ways. Do we want them here? Would we be okay with that here? People who have different worship style preferences than us. Whether they like the old hymns, whether they like the new hymns, whether they don't like any hymns at all and only want contemporary. Whether they want a full band with drums, electric guitar, bass, and piano. Or whether they just want acoustic. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with welcoming in those other things and those other people? What about people that disagree with us politically? Are we okay with that? Elections are right around the corner and that'll be put to the test. I guarantee it. Political ads are going to start coming in full force pretty soon and we may disagree on who to vote for. Are we okay with that if we're in the body of Christ? Because that's not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. Are we okay with different political ideas? And here we get a little bit harder if politics wasn't hard enough. Are we okay with people who believe in Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, being here that struggle with different sins than we struggle with? Are we okay with that? And notice, I said that are struggling with their sins. I don't mean people that are living in their sins proudly, that are flaunting it that are continuing on in unrepentance, but I mean those who are truly trying to live as Christ calls us to live in his word, but it's hard because they struggle with different sins than we struggle with. Do we want them here? Sins that people are battling to kill that this month, again, are being celebrated. Do we want people that struggle with that here? That are trying to remain pure and holy while they're attracted to the same sex. Do we want that person here? Because we should. If they're trying to remain pure and live as Christ lived, but it's hard because they struggle with that sin that you may not struggle with, we should still want them here because we can encourage them here. They believe in the same Lord as us and they're trying to live faithful just like us, but sometimes it's hard. We should want them here should want people here that are struggling to see and live in light of their God-given gender because that's a real struggle for some people. It may not be for you. It may not be for me. But there are people that are trying to figure out who am I? And we can show them this is who you are in Christ and look how he's made you wonderfully. We can show them that. But if they walk in here and we just say, oh my goodness, you're here They'll leave. They'll find a church that does want to help them. But that should be us. People that are struggling to fight addictions to drugs and lusts of the flesh to things on a screen, we should want them here because we should want to help them here. Because we have the same Lord and we all fight our sins that may look different we should all seek to kill them together, kill those sins, put them to death. Because you can't do it on your own. You need a church. Just Even the sins that I may struggle with 
that you may struggle with, you can't do it on your own. You need the church. So I ask again, do we want to be this kind of church? Do we want to look like the church in Acts that are willing to care for and encourage people that are different than us? Do we want all kinds of people here that have said, I believe and I want to follow Jesus, even if they look different? If we do, we need to understand it's not going to come easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy at times because if you don't know, people are messy. Life is messy. But if we want our church to look like this, here's how I believe the text shows us it can be accomplished. First, we need to believe in the power of the gospel. Do we believe in the power of the gospel that anyone can be saved? Anyone no matter where they live, no matter the sins they struggle with, no matter their heritage, anything, they can be saved by the gospel. I think of Saul. He persecuted the church. He was fine with imprisoning men and women who followed Jesus. He was fine with Stephen being stoned. Yet the gospel saved him. I think of the woman at the well. Jesus didn't shun her, didn't say, don't talk to me, I know your sins. I know you're not living with your husband because you've had five. No. He talked to her, he cared for her, he showed her that there is a living water that can be yours if you believe. I think of Cornelius, a, a, a Gentile who was thought to be impure, unclean, and God is showing by faith, they're clean. By faith, he's welcomed in. Do we believe in the power of the gospel that it can save even the vilest sinner, even the strongest opponent of the church, that they can be saved? Do we believe that? That's the first thing. The second thing, it has to be all of us. We all need to want this. Can't just be some of us, a few of us fighting for this. We need to all desire our church to look like this, and we all need to work for our church to look like this. Peter was convinced. God showed him the truth, and he was convinced. The church in Jerusalem wasn't so sure. Then they became convinced. God was really doing this. The church in Antioch was convinced that they were welcomed in, that they were a part of the the church that God was building that was made up of all different kinds of people. And they cared for one another. And they encouraged one another. It has to be all of us. It can't just be a few of us. The third thing, it takes being like Peter and not standing in the way of God. And this one may be a little more difficult. When I was interviewing here, one of the members here gave me some great advice. He said, don't let Austin get in the way. Don't let Austin get in the way of what God is doing, what God wants to do, what God has called me to do. Don't let Austin get in the way. Don't let you get in the way. Don't let yourself get in the way. Peter at one time was only concerned with spreading the gospel to the Jews. He was not actively sharing with the Gentiles. He was hindering the spread of the gospel in that way. 
It took God showing him that, that he was hindering him, that he was not seeing the bigger picture for him to get out of the way and get on board with God's plan. Make sure you're not in the way. Make sure you're joining with what God is doing, not stopping it. God has called us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, not selectively sharing the gospel with certain people. We need to go out and meet all kinds of people. We don't look at someone and say, I, don't, I think they're too far gone. I don't think I, I, don't think I can do it. No, we, we go to that person. We tell them about Jesus. There is a God who created you and who loves you, who sent a son to die for you, who can make you clean, who can walk alongside you as you deal with these sins, and there's a church here that wants to walk alongside you as you deal with these sins, like we're dealing with our own sins, because if Paul can say, I'm not there yet, then we better not say, I'm there, that I've figured it out, that I'm completely sanctified. We need to make sure we're not getting in the way, that we're not hindering God. And I want us to hear this as well. It's not just that we selectively share the gospel. That's not the only way we hinder God and hinder what he wants us to do. But inactivity is just as hindering to the mission of God as refusing to share the gospel with someone. What I mean by that is thinking other people will do it. That I, I'm not going to do it because other people will do it. Being inactive in that way. That's the same as what Peter's doing. He wasn't actively going and sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. He said, I don't need to do it. Because I don't think it's right. You can't say, I don't need to do it. Someone else will do it. Inactivity is the same as, as refusing to go do it. Or saying, not that person, but I will with this person. We need to gossip the gospel to anyone and everyone who will listen. We need to tell them the greatest piece of gossip there's ever been. It's the greatest thing we could ever share. We need to be like Peter and start sharing a table with those that are different than us. I want to listen, you to listen to this quote from John Piper. This is what he said regarding this, regarding the story of Cornelius. Let us wash our minds and our mouths of all racial slurs and ethnic put-downs and be done with all alienating behaviors. And let's be the good Samaritan for some ethnic outcast. Let's be the Jesus for some untouchable leper. And let's be Peter for some waiting Cornelius. They're out there. And we can be like that to them. We can be the good Samaritan that's walking by that worldly standards would say, no, I'm not, that's a Samaritan. I'm not touching them. But instead, we could go be the good Samaritan, helping that person on the road. We could be like Jesus who was unafraid to go and heal a leper. There's a lot of lepers in our society, at least from the viewpoint of the church oftentimes, they're untouchable. I'm not going near them. But Jesus would have said, no, I'm going to them. And I'm going to talk to them. And I'm going to love them. And I'm going to care for them. We could be that. We could be like Peter. Those that we think were unclean that God has showed us, they are clean. 
and they can be cleansed through faith in Jesus. Don't get in the way. Don't let yourself get in the way. I can't let myself get in the way. Fourth and finally, we need to be like the brothers and sisters in the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. We need to encourage one another, love each other, and lead each other to live biblically. This means, yes, we'll stand strong in our convictions regarding biblical ethics. We make it clear this is what God has said is right and good, and this is what he said is wrong and sinful. We don't waver on that. But we can still love people even with those convictions. We can still help people live in line with those convictions that struggle with what is right and wrong. This will take time. It will take patience. It will take grace. And again, life may get a little messy if we really want to look like this as a church. We need to encourage one another and we need to give generously for each other. Giving and providing as you're able for those in need. Some examples, give to the church, give financially to the church to support the mission of the church, the work of the church, to provide for missionaries overseas that the church gives to their cooperative program to send them there, to sustain them while they're there. We give financially to the church, but we also give our time to the church. We serve in the church. We volunteer in the church because this is our ministry. It's not just a select few in the church that do all of the work of the church. It's all of us as the church serving, giving our time, giving your talents. What are you good at? What do you feel gifted in? Use it. We give to missions as well. So part of that is giving to the church, which gives to support missionaries but we support local and international missions and missionaries as well. You can do that on your own, too. You don't need to go through us as the intermediary. You can give. You can support local missionaries, international missionaries. You give to mercy ministries all around us, locally, nationally, globally, those that care for pregnant women, those that care for orphans, those that care for widows, those that care for foster kids and, and those like Camp David that are helping those that have parents that are incarcerated. We give to those things. If we want to look like this, if we truly want to look like this, like our church should look like according to the word, a church that's made up of all kinds of people that are unified and generously care for the brothers and sisters. It's going to take work. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take us believing in the gospel. It's going to take us giving and caring and loving one another. But if we want to do it, we can do it because God is with us as we do it. But we need to be sure that we are doing these things, whether we continue on doing them or whether we start doing them because we find that we haven't. We do them so that we can look like God wants our church to look like because he has a plan for every church there is. He has a plan for this church, Emmanuel Baptist Church. And it's to look like that, to be that kind of church. It's made up of all kinds of people that love one another, that are under the lordship of Christ and generously care for one another. So I'm excited for that. 
I'm excited to be that kind of church. I hope you are too, even though, again, it's going to take work. It's going to take time. It's going to be all of us. That's what he has for our church. That's what he calls our church to. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, we hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.